Hi, I'm Peggy Morrissey from St. Paul Lutheran Church in Old Saber, Connecticut, and you are listening to the Two Bald Pastors podcast, connecting real faith with real life. They might not have hair, but they really do care about faith and life. Two Bald Pastors. Welcome to Two Bald Pastors, a podcast about real faith and real life. I'm Jeff Sinabaldo. And I'm Joe McGarry. And we are two follically challenged pastors serving in congregations of the New England Synod and the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, as we like to call it, the ELCA. Today, it is our pleasure to welcome back our first returning guests, Francisco Herrero and Lenny Duncan of the Decolonized Lutheranism Movement. We're very, very happy to have them here with us again today. Joe and I had a great conversation with them, and you'll hear it now. Well, for me, just the big thing is the fact that we had 203 people come from all over the country. I thought it was pretty cool when we had the first person say, I'm coming in from Alaska. Oh, well. that was pretty great. There was a pastor from Alaska that flew in that used, um, and that seemed to be kind of a practice to use sort of continuing education credit yeah. or, you know, funds for that. <clears throat> so flew in from Alaska. I thought that was pretty great. I didn't anticipate then was that we would have seven ELC institutions send people representatives. There are quite a few um, Pacific, Pacifica Lutheran University or Pacific Lutheran University. Yep. Uh, California Lutheran University. Uh, Luther College had 14 people here. Oh. Um, Luther Seminary, PLTS, LTSP. There was actually there was actually a really large group of people from Luther, in fact, and it was really, it was really amazing. The Holy Spirit was really active in firing up all these people to come across country to look for funding within their own communities to make things possible for people to be there. Um, There were five bishops' assistants who were there. Just about every single one of them kind of came in towards the last minute, like the last week, week and a half. We started getting requests from bishops' assistants saying, hey, you know, do you have space? Can we still come? It, It turned into a really big deal. I certainly know that I wasn't expecting that. I was certainly praying for that. How many people were you thinking? I would have been cool with 50. 75 would have been a good number. Yeah. Personally, I was hoping for 120. The idea was is that I wanted to have enough people on campus that the people on campus would definitely feel a bit of, they would see that there were a lot of people kind of mulling around on a weekend, which isn't usual. Um, but there would be so many people running around that it would be, you know, that their presence would be felt. You would see people walking around. You would see people hanging out in places. You would notice that this was not business as usual. Um, we had almost, but <laughs> we had 203 people show up, and 225 people actually pay for registrations. Wow, that's incredible. So, it's yeah, enormous. That's great. That's great. Um, and if it filled two entire one. We you know we crammed everybody into the the first floor library space for worship, but then we had people spread out through. 75% of the public space of the building. All the classroom areas were occupied. The All of the public areas were occupied. And it was really just impressive and wonderful. Everybody was just so happy to be there. You had people who really went out of their way and were touched by not only what we were saying, what we were doing, 
but they also had like this really profound sense of, of, of a movement of the Holy Spirit. And it was funny because even the core group members of Decolonize, so even amongst the early adopters and organizers, we had a feeling of what we were aiming at, but it was sudden, suddenly when there were 210 people there, there was this electricity in the air, and we could put our finger on it all at once. And it was almost like, oh, man, it, it people were finishing each other's sentences and completing each other's thoughts who had never met before. And, it, and, 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 and that was the most powerful thing was just how representative, like, what a wonderful and powerful and beautiful mosaic of all these different people across the ELCA who had been feeling like some sort of change was needed, like like there was a, a an itch that needed to be scratched. And once we all got in a room, it was like that. I don't know if you ever had a really bad itch. It was, it was, like, it was like 210 people all being like, oh, you know, like it just yeah, felt, yeah. It felt like church for some of us for the first time in years. Mm. Jeff and I weren't able to be there, but we were definitely following along via social media. And I think you could feel that sense of the spirit moving just – in what people were posting online and the comments that were being made. And, you know, people come together for church. But then I think that this was on a different level because people were coming together for church, but also a different kind of church. You know, that, that feeling that you were talking about, Lenny, that, that, that there was this itch that needed to be scratched. You know, we, we yeah, we love Jesus. We love the Holy Spirit. But there's something more that we need and we need to be with our brothers and sisters, even the ones that we don't know yet or maybe haven't met in real life yet. And we want to be together um, and, and really start something special. Yeah. And, and I don't want to embarrass him, but I, I, I do want this recorded for the record. Francisco <laughs> this dude did not stop moving for weeks before we got there and for weeks after we left, but during the time of, I just never seen anyone be so involved in liturgical planning, theological wrestling. Then let's put together some music for worship. And now let's 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 make sure the hospitality's had by all. Hands down, if we were looking for an MVP of Decolonize 16, my, my vote would go for Francis. <laughs> Congratulations, well, Francisco. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Thank you for the nomination, Lenny. I will gladly accept this little trophy. Um, oh, there's six other nominations too. No, yeah. Well, see, for me, the thing was is that, you know, there are so many things that you only realize after the fact. My first real experience organizing large things happened when I was about 20 years old when I organized my first orchestra. I wanted to be an orchestra conductor, and so as a consequence, I knew that if I was going to do that, I needed to have an orchestra to conduct. And so I, I organized a high school orchestra with about 45 people in it. But what it took me years to realize was, was that what I was doing at the time um, was trying to recreate the community that I'd never had and always wanted. Because hmm. I was much more than a conductor to these kids. Right. Um, I was the one that came to talk to about things with their family or with their life. I was the one that came, you know, when they had to talk about um, problems with their family or something they they would they would speak to me and so they would reach out to me i started to understand that that i of course i didn't realize this until i was well into my 30s that that's what i was doing but this is just 
kind of an extension of what I've been doing my whole life. For years, I would do it through music or the arts. Um, since being involved in the church, of course, now I'm doing it through the church. If what we're talking about is decolonize is the fact that there are all these communities that do not welcome people and that push people out. If we're really going to be worth our metal, then we need to be recreating the communities that we always want to be. And I don't think, I certainly wasn't conscious of that happening in the process. But one of the things that became abundantly apparent over the course of the day was is that that's what we had become. Mm. Um, we had become that church for which we had always longed. It was beautiful and amazing. And the, the fellow feeling and the openness and the hope and the love uh, were palpable, even to those of us that were freaking exhausted <laughs> from, from having, you know, because I wasn't the only one running around, right? Everybody, all of the leaders were running around. All of us were connecting with people. You know, everybody was trying to touch base with everybody. We, you know, and, and there were so many individuals, you know, whether you had Tita Valeriano, who was one of the chaplains, Laura Groon was also chaplaining, Jessica Davis, who came in from Philadelphia, Laura Groon is in, um, is in, uh, was in Houston, and Tita is in the Bay Area. You know, the, we had a, a trans-masculine student uh, seminarian who's a student in Chicago Theological Seminary, but is at ELCA. They were the volunteer coordinator that day, did an enormous amount of work. And then not to mention the seminarians from CTS, the, from LSTC that were helping out to make sure everybody knew where the bathrooms were. There was just such a, a genuine sensation among everybody that, that we were just filled with this love and genuine concern for each other. Decolonize actively modeled this kind of church that we all have always dreamed of. And again, I, I didn't even remember thinking this at the time. I just, I just wanted for everybody to have a chance to sit and to really process things together as a group, to pray, to sing, to not just kind of spend a whole day cramming yourselves with information that maybe you'll think have time to think about one or two days after the event's over. We that, became the church that so many of us really wanted to have, have longed for our whole lives. That's great. If you got each of you could maybe share a moment that you experienced. I mean, you, you talked about how the Holy Spirit was present and all of these people coming together and just really being the church the way the church is meant to be. And could you just share one story, one moment that you really truly felt this uh, that really stands out in your mind? Um. I guess it was a couple things. You know, decolonized uh, Lutheranism is really a, a, a platform of self-defense. And so we kind of came together out of self-defense, out of like, you know, how, how can we as believers and people who love this church and want to give to the ELCA, you know, our blood, sweat, and tears, how can we do it in a way that we don't end up, you know, littered on the side of the road, you know, uh, you know, our, our, our bodies and, and, and our souls and, and our gifts and our talents just wasted. Like so many of our predecessors before us, you know, just the, the, the ELCA is strewn with these bodies in our history, mm. uh, people's careers and, and people's marriages and, and people's sanity, you know. Um, and so we, we sort of gathered under that premise. And so for my for my section that I was doing for Lent, I knew that I wanted I wanted a time of storytelling, and I knew that I wanted to pair up persons of color and LGBTQ folks and people who had been marginalized, and I wanted them to tell their stories face to face to people to people in the dominant culture. But I also know 
that in the ELCA, we ask people to do that all the time. Yep. We really, I mean, we, we beat our, our, you know, and, and we, and so it comes from a good place, right? It comes from this place of like, Hey, we're really white or, Hey, we're really straight, uh, uh, hetero cis. And we want someone to come here and tell us about their experience. What, what, what people don't realize is that you get 14 or 15 of those invitations a month. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to say no when you're, when, when, when your life is liberation, not when you're studying liberation theology, not when like, you know, you went on a couple marches when your life is about freedom for, for the oppressed, right? You don't want to say no. Well, what happens to you is you get stressed real thin. So before my session, I just, you know, I put it out there. And I said, hey, you know, I was early in the morning, I think, Francisco, when we were doing some announcements. I said, hey, for, for my session, we're, 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 I'm going to ask you to tell your stories. You know, I just put it out there. I was like, I know you're tired of telling your story. I know you're tired of pleading for your life. I know you're tired of pleading for your right to exist. I know but I'm going to ask you personally to do it one more time today. My heart broke while I was saying that stuff. But then during that session, to watch people do that, people I know who've been through the ringer, and to sit down one more time and to tell their story one more time and to meet someone where they're at, no matter where they're at in their journey, with love one more time. I mean, that was it for me. That's when I was like, this came together. I, I mean, at least for me, that was the moment. Because, you know, it'd be easy to say, no, I don't want to. I, I didn't come here for that today. Yeah, do you think it was a little different telling the story in the context in which everyone was in? Like you've, you've told your story as, as a presentation or as an educational type thing, but really it was telling your story to someone who really understands your story a little deeper than just listening to it. Do you think it was a little different for people sharing that day? I think the air was a little bit different. I, again, we kind of became the church that we all envisioned. So I feel like some groundwork was done, but I, I think I was the third session and there was definitely something happening, but I'm not sure if by that point, if we really knew what was happening, right. you know? Right. So there was still some risk involved. Look, there's always risk. I got people. I got peers. I got well, they're more your peers because I'm still a seminarian, gentlemen. <laughs> but, but, you know, I've, I've I've got some of your peers who literally dedicate whole Facebook page posts to tearing me to shreds. I'm not even out of school yet. I'm not even out of school yet. I know the risk of putting yourself out there, and I felt it. I felt the sting myself. And for people who've been doing that for 10, 20, 30 years and somehow get up every morning because they love Christ, because they love this church, and because they love serving people, and to ask them to do it one more time, um, particularly being young and newer to, to, to the church, I was honored that they did that. But I also understood that even in a, in a, in a safe environment, there was some risk involved. Right. I like what you said earlier about coming together for self-defense, but what you've really been talking about has been just some healing that seems to have happened, which sounds really awesome. 
where do you hope to build on this? Um, what's what's the next step, or is it still too early to say? Maybe you need to dwell on it a little bit more yet. But what what are your hopes moving forward, having had this experience? Well, we've actually already had three very powerful next steps happen. You have uh, the Renda Heavens, Renda Heavens, this sh- posts that were put together by Tuhina Rash and Jason Chestnut, both central organizers with the Colonize. Um, you have this recent series of blog posts about sexual oppression and sexual like sexuality problems within the ELCA called Naked and Unashamed. Uh, their hashtag is Naked Lutherans, specifically talking about the ways that different aspects of ELCA culture, whether it's seminary, whether it is candidacy, whether it is just Lutheran families or churches, um, how the understanding of gender and sexuality has been horrifically destructive to people who have engaged in the ELCA. Most recently, there has actually been a very fruitful collaboration that has taken place between one of our core leaders, L. Dowd, who's an, an MDiv student at OSTC, and another MDiv student at Luther Seminary named Bethany Ringdahl. And their collaboration is called My Kind of Church. And that's also a hashtag where they have invited people um, from all perspectives, people that are Christians, people that aren't Christians, people that are atheists, people that are pagans, people that are you know, women, genderqueer, whatever, to post a picture on a Tumblr page along with a post talking a little bit about themselves, describing themselves in five words, and then writing out the phrase, my kind of church is a blah, 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 or someone like blah, blah, blah can do this. And these are all things that we have been doing to continue this conversation about who is in church, who are the people that we're welcoming, who do we consider our neighbor. You know, these are all things that are absolutely crucial to what Decolonize is doing. But now we're genuinely casting our nets outside of the bounds of the church. So those are very three very, very concrete online things that decolonize, though we're not immediately involved in doing, like it's not a sensual project like Decolonize 16 was. They are very much being um, led, spearheaded, moved by members of Decolonize. In terms of like what our next steps are, well, we have 20 se- Decolonize 17 coming up at uh, the Lutheran Seminary in Philadelphia next November. We just about have all of our presenters. It's going to be all new presenters. Um, we're going to be focusing a, a much more on on demographic uh, aspects of the ELCA. So we have one of our sessions is going to be focused on African-American ministry. That's specifically the focus on Easter. Lenny Duncan, Angela Shannon, who's a pastor based in Texas, Brian Christopher Clay, who is um, a musician who's, but they're going to be talking about African-American Lutheran ministry. We have a group that's going to be focusing on Latino ministry. Uh, they're all Colombian. Um, they're all either mission developers or pastors who are based on the East Coast. Uh, one of them is a, a good buddy of mine named Diana Fajardo, who is from Colombia. Um, she's been active in the Fort Lauderdale area. Then there's another pastor who is outside, who's in South Carolina, named Alejandro Mejia. So they're going to be talking about Latino ministry, and their but their focus is going to be on, they're going to be doing the Advent section, and specifically, they're going to be doing it through the lens of a uh, Advent tradition that you find in Colombia, right? So, 
we're expanding. It is not about focusing on the early adopters at this point now. Now it's about showing and lifting up the voices of the broader church that we just don't hear about. And then talking also about why don't we hear about them. We had an evaluation form that we put out after Decolonized uh, 16 was over. And there were two major things that were major requests that were common. Um, one of the critiques was is that we spent a lot of time talking about sort of more individual perspectives of or individual takes on what we talked about with uh, the confessions um, and what we talked about with literature calendar year. And there wasn't really a serious talk about changing systems. So we're going to be doing more of that come this year now in, in November. The other major innovation is, is that last year, the vast majority of discussion that happened happened through small groups. So what happened was is that when people arrived, everybody was given a folder that had a particular pattern or design or color on it. And that would be what determined what group you were in. One of the questions that was raised was that, you know, we did all the small group discussion time over the course of the day, technically about four hours of small group discussion. But we never had a time to come together and talk as a large group. So that's what we're doing next time. We, whereas we ended Decolonize 16 with, a, a, a closing worship around Pentecost. This year, the Pentecost section that ends the day will be a time when all the small groups come together and then we, we discuss and pray and sing together as a large group, sharing specifically the things that we talked about over the course of the day. Um, and so I, I guess really that's just kind of, for me, how I see this going on from here, farther up and further in, right? That wonderful line from, um, from The Last Battle uh, and C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. You know, we know that there is a, literally an infinity within the people who have come and that have, that have have sort of hitched their wagon to decolonize. The nascent things, the things that haven't quite taken form yet. Um, we're actually in the process of collaborating with groups of people who's, who sort of sympathize or consider themselves, you know, um, adoptees of decolonized Lutheranism in particular parts of the United States to do these things we call decolonize events. And what we are going to be doing is, um, I've been in conversations directly with people really from all over the country to talk about starting decolonized groups in their communities. What we need to see is sort of the basic components of these decolonized based communities. Um, based community using that term from liberation theology, right? When you had groups of, of peasants really coming together to read the Bible and, and study and to interpret these stories in the Bible through their own lives. Um, mm -hmm. And how the development of these based communities based on the simple thing as a study of scripture in the 1960s and 70s created the, the beginnings of like labor movements and women's hospitals and family shelters and in general provided spaces of empowerment and and comfort uh, in the middle of all of these oppressive regimes, right? So, the, but this notion of based communities. So, we we've been in the process of talking with people about having starting these based communities. We and it, it's been really, you know, it was originally these conversations with these people in different parts of the country were, you know, really kind of let's get to know each other, let's pray for each other, let's love each other, let's see what we're going to do, and you know, they were really really nice conversations. And then Donald Trump Trump got elected, mm. and after the election of Donald Trump, these uh, these conversations switched from, oh, 
people. Let's get together and talk about how we can work to make the church this wonderful, beautiful thing. Oh, let's come together and find the ways that the Holy Spirit is moving us uh, to, to create this beautiful open table. And it became a conversation of what the hell am I going to do now? I spent weeks talking to people that can't go back to their churches since the election. Wow. Whether it's people that, you know, that they, they, they can't sing, they couldn't sing hymns anymore. You know, if you're one of two African-American families in a congregation that's virtually all white, um, 200 people worshiping on average per service. And, you know, the pastor preaches a sermon the day, you know, the Sunday after the election that we all need to come together and you're a gay couple that's in the process of trying to adopt a child. These were people that were literally, they can't go back to their churches. Or even worse, um, they would talk about their anxieties or their fears, and the members of their church wouldn't understand what, what would just tell them, well, don't worry, it's not that bad. It's not going to be that bad. He didn't really mean those things. These are the people that I was talking to in the weeks following the election, really up until about middle of December. So since then, how the decolonize, like developing and based communities has turned out, is that now we're actually talking with, as opposed to having this sort of process where we get to know people and all of this stuff, we're just going to start having events all throughout the country. We have a couple of ones that are sort of nascent right now. I can't really talk too much about them specifically at this instant because there are lots of things that are still up in the air. Um, but we currently have three groups of people that are actively working to have decolonized events go live next month. Um, and uh, once we actually get those things set, um, I can certainly give you some more information. But uh, that's kind of where we're at right now is, you know, apart from our online presence and preparing for what we're going to be doing next year in Philadelphia, we're also working with people actively right now to make a very strong presence for the love of Christ and the sanctuary and the love and the beauty that we find within the church as a place for healing and comfort and, and, and accessing and becoming, you know, instilled with the power and, and the hope of God, because there are so many people that literally don't know what they're going to do because of the recent election. Mm -hmm. Lenny talking about earlier how this, this, no, this mode of survival, you know, it was, it was a mode of survival that in some respects really got us kicked off that's kind of what now is, is the, the background motivating force behind many of my conversations. It sounds like there's a lot of things going on and really exciting things. And actually, I think as, as this podcast episode drops, it will be Inauguration Day. Okay. Maybe if you guys want to talk a little bit about that from your perspective and if there is anything that you would like folks to know about or, or hear about as we come up upon... Uh, January twentieth. So then, if this if this is going to be released inauguration day, the day that people will be listening to this, I'll actually be in D.C. Um, and I'll be preaching at a protest with Power, which is Philadelphians organized to witness um, and power and reconstruct and Pico, um, which is the large umbrella group, um, which is an interfaith group of um, of people of faith who you know, address issues um, of the oppressed and, and and of the marginalized and of the poor, um, you know, just people following the Bible. It's a crazy idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so, so a couple things. 
The first thing is, is that it was a seismic shift for many people. Um, I can tell you that the day after the election, I was walking around Philadelphia, um, and I, you know, particularly on the seminary, and people were shell-shocked. I actually wrote a blog post first thing that morning and, uh, and, and talked real specifically to how I, I wasn't surprised. And, and, you know, and, and that's always the pushback, right? Like people, you know, the, the funny thing about me is that like, I haven't lived in a liberal stronghold my whole life. I'm from Philadelphia. I'm a Philadelphia native. I've, I've been in all 50 of our states. I spent plenty of time in the Midwest. I, I know these places that, that, that elected him. I know the people there. I've lived in communities like that in my travels and in my time. And I'm not shocked by the election results. I'm not shocked that the average American can look past racism, xenophobia, and homophobia if it means that he might have a better life, if it means that he won't be um, or she won't be or they won't be left behind by the government or by neoliberalism or by conservative principles or whatever you're into. You know, I've, I've voted for candidates in both major parties on all kinds of elections. This isn't a partisan issue. This is empire. This mm. is what Christ had to face. And, and so many of our churches right now, the pushback that people are hearing is, you're being too political. And to, to take Jesus out of time, out of space, and to act like he wasn't like, that, that the incarnation did not know the political ramifications of every move he made, as if he didn't understand the culture, the time, the place, his own, and, and the setting that he was in, I have to tell you, quite frankly, is heresy. That, 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 that's heresy. He, he understood intrinsically what he did. He understood that, you know, during the Passover festival, when he was sitting in the temple with basically a sitting army, Right. And 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 the high priests were trying to to catch him up. He understood what that meant. He understood that he was, you know, he had a sitting army sitting in a temple, yet he chose not to rise up. He understood every move he made. And to remove him or his followers from that because it's too political, it, it drives me up a wall. What we're seeing right now. What we need right now is, is faithful resistance. What we need right now is a radical moral agenda that needs to be brought to the, to, to, right to the, to, to the doorstep of Pennsylvania Avenue over the next 100 days. The truth is, is that we've never seen anything like this. We've never seen such a conglomeration of white supremacy, capitalism, and I, I'm totally afraid what our foreign policy is going to look like. And the people who are going to be hurt the most are those who have always paid the price for American excellence, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and that's just going to be the truth. I mean, I mean, you know, national stop and frisk programs we're talking about. Neighborhoods in Philadelphia are already basically open air prisons with the way we're treated by law enforcement and by our local governments. Um, in the way that, you know, the, the, the new plantation, the criminal justice system is treating us. More importantly, 
are, you know, LGBTQ folks' lives are at risk. And, you know, I, I, I don't think there's anyone who's more at risk right now. You know, my friend L always put this, you know, I always think the most vulnerable person is a trans woman of color. I, when I think of, like, who is the Gentile today, right? Mm. Who is the person the most on the outside? All of these people, and I can go on and on and on, their lives have been put at risk because someone in the Midwest didn't like their insurance premium. That's right. insane. Yeah. That's, you know, because, and, and, and look, the Democrats failed too. I mean, because they didn't want to go to the coal miners and explain that they have to learn to code now. That they're going to have to learn to make apps. That that the industrial revolution's not coming back in America. Right. That that, that the economy right. has moved on. You know, no one wanted to have these hard conversations. So now, we have this rise of almost demonic evil. I mean, just really taking shape. I mean, just look at his cabinet members. I mean, it's insane. And any person of conscience and of faith has to stand up right now. And you can't listen to the people who are telling you that it's not your place, it's not your time. You know, you were born, you were handcrafted, you were ordained and you were anointed for a time and a place such as this. This is, this is it. This isn't a test. <laughs> you know, right, this right. is it. Right, right. And we have to make a decision as church. Who are we going to be? Are we going to be the people who, who, who proclaim freedom to the captive, you know, liberation to the oppressed, good news to the poor? Or are we going to be an Elks Club or, yeah, yeah. or you know, for, for where we do good deeds, get together? And I feel better because I saw my friend Joe this week. You know, I mean. Before the inauguration or after, what is one thing that they can do? to either make a difference or to really kind of stand up against kind of what's going on, you know, as they watch everything starting to unfold? What, what is an advice that you can give to someone who's listening to this podcast today? And this is going to sound silly. I actually saw someone post this from a rabbi earlier today. You know, in, in church planting, we do this thing called the grit of shame. And the grit of shame is you make like a little tic-tac-toe box, right? And you think about your closest neighbor, right? And the first, you, you get one. So, so you can put one line if you know their name. You could put a second line if you know something about them you couldn't notice by walking past them on the street, right? And then you put a third line if you know their hopes and dreams. You can't love your neighbor if you don't know your neighbor, Mm -hmm. If neighbors all look like you, you know, make the circle a little bit bigger. We People have to get to know each other. You know, I mean, do you know, you know, and, and that's and that's what the guy was talking about earlier. So, you know, earlier in the post was like, do you know the last person who, um, you know, who served you dinner? Do you know the name of the person who opens the door for you at your job? Do you know the person who picks up your trash? Do you know the person who, you know, this can go on and on. But I mean. That's a, the biggest thing we can do right now is to get to know and love our neighbors, particularly the ones who are so different that they, you know, the hair on the back of our neck stands up. We have to get to know each other and to love each other and be rooted in that because that's what the incarnation is. And then from there, 
there are organizations that have been doing this kind of fight since day one. If you're local in Philadelphia, I suggest going to powerinterfaith.org, you know, or go to decolonizedlutheranism.org, and, you know, we can organize, you know, and we'll have some stuff, I think, in the coming weeks um, posted that you guys can interact with. But, I mean, the biggest thing is we got to get to know our neighbors. We, we just don't know each other anymore, you know? Yeah, I totally yeah. agree with that. I did too, yep. And the second thing is, and I'm sure you guys will like this, is like, if you're listening to this and you're not a clergy person, you know, give your pastor some freedom. Give them a break. Let them let them preach with their bags packed for the next hundred days. You know, and if you have a pastor who's not doing that, encourage him to preach with his bags packed for the next. <laughs> yeah, and 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 that's some concrete stuff to do. Um, you know, after the women's march, I'm sure there's going to be some stuff for you to connect with after that. It's really put up or shut up time. In a lot of ways, if you have something you've cared about, whether it's LGBTQ um, rights, you know, um, whether it's, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter. You know, I was watching a comedian the other day. He says, we're not even saying black lives are better. We're just saying they matter. Can they just matter <laughs> for you? Like, you know, you want to get involved. Go on those websites. Go figure it out. Like, do the hard work of connecting to other folk and just get out there. But I, I think for today, on a day like this, if you're particularly uh, uh, afraid, I'm, you know, if you're horrified as this person swears in the oath of office and is vice president and the rest of the Legion of Doom he's assembling, you know, the biggest thing is, is, is just get to know your neighbors today. You know, if it's too much for you, if the news is getting too much for you, go outside. It might be a little bit cold where you are. But just start stopping people and talking to them. Ask them how they're doing. You know what I mean? Ask them how long they live there. Get to know their name. Um, we're all going to need each other in the coming days, weeks, and months so desperately. As for what to do, for me, the thing, since decolonize, I have a lot of people coming up and they say, well, what is it that we can do to decolonize communities? What are the things that we can do to decolonize our church? or our seminaries or, you know, whatever. And so um, what I tell them, I says, well, if you want to decolonize where you're at, you have to ask yourself two simple but very related questions. The first is, who is your neighbor that's not at your table and why? Um, and when we use the word neighbor, I like to use Luther's word, nächsten, which literally means people who are next to you. So your neighbor isn't just the person you live next to. It's literally anybody who's by you, be it someone you're in class with, someone you see on the bus, um, the person standing in line in front of you at Starbucks as you're buying a coffee. Um, you know, who are the people around you? And, and if they are the people that are around you, but they're not at your table, you know, not where you're having lunch, not where you're worshiping <laughs> and having communion, uh, why aren't they there? Mm -hmm. Figure out who those people are. Um, and then once you do get to the point that these people are around you, are at your table, what are you doing to make sure that they are seen, welcomed, and loved? Whether that table is your work, whether that table is your school, whether that table is actually even your family dinner table, because Lord knows there are people sometimes that are in our own families that we don't necessarily embrace and love um, as we are able. And so 
for me, this all fundamentally comes down to simple hospitality and openness and attentiveness to our neighbor as a beginning of justice. For me, all of justice is fundamentally rooted in hospitality because it's about seeing your neighbor and treating them as such. And because and because once you can see your neighbor that way to the point that you're always willing to open the door to your house for them when they, you know, whether they come to borrow a cup of sugar or whether it's because, you know, they're just really lonely that night and they don't want to be alone anymore. If you can get to the point that you can always make space in your life and in your heart for the people who are next to you, that is really the the grounds for not only Christian love, but for Christian justice. So that would be the thing that I would tell folks. If you really want to help people, if you really want to figure out how um, to decolonize yourself, your communities, your environments, as well as to genuinely be there for the people that are around you and the people for whom the next few years are not going to be fun. Ask yourself, who is your neighbor that isn't at your table and why? And then when you do get together with these people, what are you doing to make sure that they're seen, welcomed, and loved? Um, For me, I think that is a good, simple, easily rememberable, uh, practical thing way to begin that's great as we as as we begin to look to see like what the next years are going to be holding for us yeah that's that's great i mean both of you are are talking just about very simple things of getting to know people about loving people about treating i mean treating your neighbor as you want to be treated you want those things for yourself so the first step is to start doing that for other people I, i i just love that that's like you said, a simple, rememberable thing that we all can do, especially during this time in our country today. Guys, this has been awesome. Uh, I could listen to the two of you talk all day. (laughs) Just one last. It's a good thing. person. I mean, after Dylan Roof's uh, prison uh, journal came out, you ever had a reason to take down all the white depictions of Jesus in your church. There's one. I mean, just take that to your church council Mm. and remind them that he's an ELCA confirmed Lutheran. And I mean, that that's insane. I mean, that I'm not not even look and I'm not saying that, like, we need to have depictions of Jesus in every different culture. No, I just want a historically accurate one. Can I have a Jewish Jesus, please? Mm. You know, just just one Sephardic Jew who's brown with black hair, you know, I mean, and the, and the kid even drew a picture of the classic Jesus that's in most of our Lutheran churches, which is a holdover from an old USO picture from World War II that most of the guys wore in their helmets. Most people don't even know that. But just one more practical thing you can do on the 20th, walk around, take them all down, you know, see what's the worst that'll happen? You know, the Nin Circle might yell at you a little bit, but... You know, it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, that's another practical thing to to do. And and yeah, when I saw that picture, it chills just went up my spine because it's it is the picture that we have hanging on our walls in most of our churches, and that's one of the messages that we are sending, even if it's a very 
unintentional message about who Jesus is, and and you're right. Just let's get the the accurate image out there and start with that. I just wonder if if a young Dylan saw a representation of Jesus that looked more like me and more like the people he sat in that Bible study with, maybe things would have went differently. Mm. Right, right. Any other closing thoughts, guys? If anybody is interested in talking with us about making a base community, if 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 someone was interested to find a way that you can directly work to be part of the work of decolonizing the church and creating spaces of love and empowerment through the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel where you are and you want to collaborate with us a little bit and you want some support, give us an email at decolonizedlutheranism at gmail.com because we are very much looking for folks to, to work with to have real on-the-ground ministry take place within our communities, places where people can come together and pray and laugh and sing and heal to get strength and hope um, because, you know, that's something that we all can use and we all need no, no matter the time and the place. And we want to be there to kind of help people in that. No, I just want to say thanks for having us on again. You know, you were the first, you were the first sort of outside organization to reach out to us and to invite us onto your platform. You showed us a kind of faith that nobody else had yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I personally am thankful for that. I'm especially thankful for the fact that we can kind of come back like, you know, like veteran, like the veterans that we are now. That's right. Um, <laughs> and just kind of sit back and reminisce a little bit and mourn a little bit. Maybe, you know, tell old war stories and brag about our scars, you know. Yeah. Um, but because uh, this is something that we need to sustain us. And uh, so, yeah, just thanks for thanks for keeping up. Uh, thanks for helping to lift us up and for uh, continuing to check in. Yeah. Thank you guys for what you're doing and keeping the faith and keeping it moving. Yeah, seriously. I, I just I just want to amplify that. But you guys are the first ones to take us, you know, seriously who weren't in our direct circle. So we just I, I I'm really appreciative of that myself. too. So thank you. Well, your podcast episode is one of our top episodes so far, so hopefully this one will be another popular one for people, because I'm sure I've seen quite a bit of people wanting to know a little bit about what's going on now and what's coming up, and I thank you for sharing that. And for those who are listening, if you want to find out more about Decolonized Lutheranism, uh, the website, once again, is decolonizedlutheranism.org. Yeah, there's a Facebook, a Twitter. We're, yeah, they're we're, out there. Please check them out and uh, find out what is going on and how you can be involved. And like I said, today uh, is Inauguration Day, so we have some very practical advice. If you um, would like to know what, what are the next steps, what are some of the things you can do is to go out and get to know your neighbor and, and love love your neighbor and find out who they are and, and what their story is. So. Thank you. Thank you once again, guys. No problem. Thank you. God bless. Thank you. God bless. Good night, guys. They might not have hair, but they really do care about faith and life. Two bald pastors. Today, we have our first 
uh, returning customers, not customers, our first <laughs> returning guests uh, uh, to uh, be back. Do that, do that part over again. <laughs> Today, we have our first returning yeah. victims. <laughs> yeah, victims. We have our first. Re- These two saps didn't learn the first time. <laughs> uh, the no, they're good guys. And also, yeah, and, and feel free to edit whatever the hell you want out of my babbling earlier. I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of seriously, it's just, there, there really is an enormous amount going on. 